This afternoon, we confess the Canons of Dort, Head 1, Articles 15 and 16. Again, these are somewhat lengthy, so allow me to read these for you. Moreover, Holy Scripture most especially highlights this eternal and undeserved grace of our election and brings it out more clearly for us, and that it further bears witness that not all people have been chosen, but that some have not been chosen or have been passed by in God's eternal election. Those, that is, concerning God whom, rather whom God, on the basis of his entire free, most just, irreproachable, and unchangeable good pleasure, made the following decision. To leave them in the common misery into which, by their own fault, they have plunged themselves, not to grant them saving faith and the grace of conversion, but finally to condemn and eternally punish them, having been left in their own ways and under his just judgment, not only for their unbelief, but also for all their other sins, in order to display his justice. And this is the decision of reprobation, which does not at all make God the author of sin a blasphemous thought, but rather its fearful, irreproachable, just judge and avenger. Article 16. Those who do not yet actively experience within themselves a living faith in Christ or an assured confidence of heart, peace of conscience, a zeal for childlike obedience, and a glorying in God through Christ, but who nevertheless use the means by which God has promised to work these things in us, such people ought not to be alarmed at the mention of reprobation, nor to count themselves among the reprobate. Rather, they ought to continue diligently in the use of the means to desire fervently a time of more abundant grace and to wait for it in reverence and humility. On the other hand, those who seriously desire to turn to God, to be pleasing to Him alone, and to be delivered from the body of death, but are not yet able to make such progress along the way of godliness and faith as they would like, such people ought much much less to stand in fear of the teaching concerning reprobation, since our merciful God has promised that He will not snuff out a smoldering wick or that He will not break a bruised reed. However, those who have forgotten God and their Savior Jesus Christ and have abandoned themselves wholly to the cares of the world and the pleasures of the flesh, such people have every reason to stand in fear of this teaching as long as they do not seriously turn to God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we uh, study predestination and uh, this afternoon uh, reprobation, help us to be very careful with this doctrine and to um, keep attention to the scriptures and what they teach us about it. Lord, please give us comfort as your elect as we hear um, about these things. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The uh, scripture lesson comes from Romans chapter 9, verse 1 through verse 29. Once again... The uh, scripture lesson is Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through uh, 29. Uh, Brothers and sisters, 
This is the Holy Word of God. I am speaking the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience bears me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen, according to the flesh. They are Israelites, and to them belong the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, and the promises. To them belong the patriarchs, and from their race, according to the flesh, is the Christ, who is God over all, blessed forever. Amen. But it is not as though the word of God has failed. For not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel, and not all are children of Abraham, because they are his offspring. But through Isaac shall your offspring be named. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. For this is what the promise said. About this time next year I will return, and Sarah shall have a son. Not only so, but also when Rebekah had conceived children by one man, our forefather Isaac, though they were not yet born, and had done nothing, either good or bad, in order that God's purpose of election might continue, not because of works, but because of his call, she was told, the older will serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob I loved, but Esau I hated. What shall we say then? Is there injustice on God's part? By no means. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. For the scripture says to Pharaoh, For this very purpose I have raised you up, that I might show my power in you, and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. You will say to me then, Why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder? Why have you made me like this? Has a potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with, with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand for glory even us whom he has called not from the Jews only but also from the Gentiles as indeed he says in Hosea those who are not my people I will call my people and her who is not beloved I will call beloved and in this very place where it was said to them you are not my people there they will be called sons of the living God and Isaiah cries out concerning Israel Though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. The Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. The word of God so far. Congregation of Christ and Friends. The doctrine of reprobation... Uh, is God passing over people with the saving grace and this very much touches on the issue of God's justice as Paul's opponent here 
and Romans 9 makes clear. Uh, People naturally believe that this is not fair and that all deserve a chance, whatever that means. But whom God chooses to give his saving grace and whom he passes over is up to him. And what you must remember is that God is absolutely perfect in character. What we often wish to do is to make analogies between ourselves and God. Well, if somebody, we reason, uh, was to choose some people and pass over others, that would not be fair. We think about the way in which we make decisions. Well, God's not like that. Whatever He chooses to do, whomever He chooses to save, whomever He passes over with His grace, is perfectly fair and just. God is unlike any judge you will see, any court you will see on this earth. He is perfectly, consistently just. Now we'll begin with this uh, very issue of justice and reprobation in Article 15. We'll look at a few interesting associated issues. And then we'll look at different responses to the same doctrine in Article 16. So how do we think about reprobation? Let's play it out a little bit. How do we define it exactly? Well, first of all, it begins with the fact that it's really the reverse side of election. Logically, if God elects some people, he has to not elect others. That's all the doctrine of reprobation is. We've made it clear that God doesn't actively uh, choose not to choose people. Rather, he actively chooses some people out of the fallen mass of humanity and the rest are passed over with his grace. God decreed according to our uh, canons here to elect some and leave the others in their misery into which they willfully plunge themselves. They willfully plunge themselves into misery. Now, we've mentioned this several times before, which you don't want to do in understanding predestination, which uh, includes election and reprobation, is try to figure out the mind of God as if we could climb up into heaven and have a discussion with him or study him like a book. can't do that. What you must do then is study the history of redemption. That's why in our preaching we play out the story of redemption. You begin with Adam and Eve and you finish with uh, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus in the very end of the book of Revelation. It's one big story played out. It's a fascinating story, but it reveals how God works and what theology is. So in this particular case, it's all the more important to understand the story, the redemptive story. And that is, specifically, all men, all people, all children, uh, sinned in Adam and fell with him. They went their own way. So, do you have a hard time with the doctrine of predestination, election and reprobation? Join the crowd. I mean, lots of people do. Well, how do you deal with it? You go to the redemptive story, and specifically in this case, you have to understand that God would be fully and perfectly just, nothing changes, if he would have condemned every single person to hell. And so the amazing thing is that God saved anyone at all. Again, the canons say that all of this is according to his most sovereign, most just, that's irreproachable, that is blameless, and unchangeable good pleasure. Who are we to uh, question God on these matters? We can't. 
God is perfectly just in these things. Now in history, all this is borne out in relationship to salvation. Negatively, God does not bestow upon the reprobate saving faith and the grace of conversion. So we understand that the decree of God is something far beyond us. It's before time and space. God makes these decisions. But it's played out in time and space. So that's what we understand as salvation is the history of redemption. Negatively, God doesn't choose others. He doesn't give them uh, grace. Positively, God lets the reprobate have their own way. You know the commercial. Have it your way. Have it your way. That's what we love to do. Is have our, well, the reprobate get their own way. They get what they want. So reprobation is God passing over, but positively punishing people in hell because of their unbelief and for their sin. And this is uh, for the declaration of God's justice. Romans 9, verse 21 and 22. Has the potter... No right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and to make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? Where is reprobation in the Bible, people ask? It's very clear that it is here. Vessels of destruction. But, we confess, this decree does not make God the author of sin. What does James say? James chapter 1. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. God is not the author of sin. People are the author of sin. Again, they get what they want. All of our wills are in bondage to sin until Christ releases them by a spirit. So our natural impulse, so Heidelberg says, is to hate God and neighbor is to sin. Uh, the reprobate, those who do not know Christ, will keep on sinning. That's what they want to do. They get what they want. And so the decree of reparation, you see, declares... And so any discussion of that will needs to be uh, conditioned by the fall. After the fall, uh, no one has free will. We say our will is in bondage to sin. And so uh, because of that, uh, no one makes a decision within a vacuum. All of us make decisions according to our own will, our circumstances, uh, which involve sin, but also where you're born. Uh, the people you talk to. And so these things will influence you. If you were born in Saudi Arabia, there's a good chance you will never hear the gospel. But still we send missionaries to that place. You can also be duped by uh, charlatans. You can listen to those who are fakes and be influenced by them. All of these things say there's no such thing as absolute free will. And so we cannot say unfair that not absolute free will now is the case or unfair that we make such qualifications. In other words, we can't say, God, how could you set up such a situation? What's wrong with you? That's insurrection. So Article 15, while defining reprobation, also defends God's character. And here's the issue. 
Many will perish eternally because they chose to do so. They plunge themselves into perdition. We protest, but while they freely choose to do this, they do not have the opposite choice to choose Christ. And again, here is the free will a protest. Uh, The idea is we can make any sort of choice in a vacuum at any time. We can choose X or Y easily and freely. And what people will say is that, well, sure, people plunge themselves into the situation, but they weren't given, ultimately, the opposite choice of Christ. Again, the answer has to do with a biblical story. The biblical narrative says that Adam had free choice in either direction, and we fell into the bondage of the will because of him. This is the way you were created and brought into the world. So you could say, well, it's Adam's fault, which is to say, it's humanity's fault. It's not God's fault. But the protest is, according to Paul, and he figures out the logic here, Romans 9.19, why does he still find fault? For who can resist his will? The answer, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Well, what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has a potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honored use and another for dishonorable use? What if God, desiring to show his wrath and make known his power, has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory? So essentially God answers because it was my own good pleasure to show forth my glory in this way. But still people can protest. It still doesn't seem right or fair or the way I like it. I mean you have to consider your context and culture. You can virtually have anything you want any way you want. Uh, From the construction of your home to the design and future of your career, your drapes, your cars, the color of your... Everything is your choice. Everything. Now, of course, we're very um, American-centric, aren't we? Uh, We think of our own culture, our own nations. Other people in the world don't have those sorts of choices. But even they can get caught up into this idea, I really should have whatever I want, whenever I want. So we can go through the logic here of Romans 9 and still think, well, I don't like it. That's not the way I would choose my draperies. That's not the way I would lay out my sidewalk. That's not the way I like my car, like leather over fabric or whatever it is. You can't think that way. The answer is God exists, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and He has decided and created and revealed. Who are we? Well, we're left with the fact that this is the truth and God is the truth. Take it or leave it. And the way into uh, a proper uh, perspective and platform of faith is the fear of the Lord. And children, if you go back to Proverbs, listen to how the parent speaks to his or her kids. It's like, children, listen to me. Uh, get wisdom. And how do you get wisdom? By the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 8. And now, O sons, children, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise. And do not neglect it. 
Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside the doors. For whoever finds me, finds life, and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me, injures himself. All who hate me, love death. All who hate wisdom, love death. So children, you must listen. Parents, you must listen. You must seek wisdom, and that is how you approach this issue. Which, of course, ultimately we know wisdom is Christ. You can't understand this doctrine. You can't accept it without fleeing to Christ. Now, as we move toward a conclusion, it's very important to understand that there are three different responses uh, to this teaching. And Article 16 uh, picks that up. First, uh, Christians who don't feel strongly uh, the work of grace within. To quote uh, 16, those in whom a living living faith in Christ and assured confidence of soul, peace of conscience and earnest endeavor after filial obedience, a glorying in God through Christ is not as yet strongly felt and who nevertheless make use of the means which God has appointed for working these graces in us ought not to be alarmed at the mention of reprobation nor rank themselves among the reprobate but diligently to preserve in the use of means and with ardent desires devoutly and humbly wait for a season of richer grace. And so you see here, uh, comfort is offered to Christians who are or, uh, sensitive to their lack. A humble evaluation proves that their living faith in Christ, peace of conscience, and sense of gratitude is weak. Of course, Um, All of us are like this. In light of reprobation, it is possible that this person will ask if he is among the reprobate. I mean, isn't it true that when you first heard this doctrine, you wonder, God, am I reprobate? I mean, if that's true, then I don't have any chance at all. We discussed this also, the history of the church in different eras. Uh, found this to be a great pastoral problem. You teach election, reprobation, people begin to wonder. Well, what is the answer? Attend upon the means of grace. Now, isn't it true? It's, it's, it's really just sort of tragic comic. But uh, when we get into these sorts of states, we struggle in our life, what do we do? You don't really go to church so much. It's like you don't have time, you're kind of stressed out. You're, uh, you're worried, so you've got to do other things to try to you know, improve life. You go, you wander. But the scriptures say, no, go back to church. Attend upon the means of grace, that is the preaching of the word and the administration of the sacraments. As you hear those things, you realize, no, I'm God's elect. God's elect do those things. So second... Christians struggling with habitual sin, frustration, and discouragement. To quote, Much less cause to be terrified by the doctrine of reprobation have they who, though they have seriously desired to be turned to God, to please Him only, and to be delivered from the body of death, cannot yet reach that measure of holiness and faith to which they aspire, since a merciful God has promised that He will not quench the smoking flax nor break the bruised reed. So as with the first person, the second represents the normal, ordinary Christian life. Now I love to hear uh, ideas of what the Christian life is from pagans. They think, oh, you're so holy. 
I know that when you're not in church, which is, you know, you'd be in church all the time if you could, you would be at home reading your Bible and praying all the time and loving your spouse perfectly. Parents, you never, I know you Christian parents never yell at your kids and, and kids are always perfectly obedient. I wish I could be like that and so perfect. Like, what a, what a bunch of nonsense. That's not the Christian life. I mean, why do we love Romans chapter 7 so much? Because Paul, the Apostle Paul, the one God chose to lead his people and preach to his people, this godly man, is a guy who says, look, I can't even do the things I should do. The things I actually do are wrong. And that is the Christian life, isn't it? And the more we come to grips with that, the more we're going to stop the nonsense acting like we're so perfect. And so you see here, the canons of Dort are so comforting, saying, you know what, that is pretty ordinary, to struggle in your faith. And of course, if you struggle, and if you study this doctrine of reprobation, you're going to worry a little bit. Stop worrying and start believing. Flee and go to Christ. Well, third, last the third category is those who are once in the church and fall away. <clears throat> it says here, uh, but this doctrine is justly terrible to those who, regardless of God, of the Savior, Jesus Christ, have wholly given themselves up to the cares of the world and the pleasures of the flesh, so long as they are not seriously converted to God. Now, we don't say that Christians can lose their salvation, lose the spirit, but they can be in the church and fall away. As one person relates, in 1 John 2.19, John speaks of those who went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us, but their going showed that none of them belonged to us. So here, the implication is clear. They fell away because they were not of us, as this person says, that is, they were not numbered among the elect. So let's be clear that one cannot lose their election. If you are God's elect, nothing can ever change that. Then if you are justified, you remain justified. The righteousness of Christ has truly been imputed to you. So this last group is, should not be a comfortable group. So again, let's be very practical. Uh, preaching the law is an important thing Uh, As you hear the preaching of the law, you should feel, you should realize, you should confess sin. People that don't confess that are in real trouble. That is, people that are comfortable with their sin, they don't really care, they wander away. The scriptures say, those people should be very nervous. Then you should question all of these things. But the good news is, If all of a sudden you come to your senses and realize what you're doing, you can come back into the church at any time. So in conclusion, brothers and sisters, let's emphasize the fact while we like to think of ourselves much closer to Jesus Christ, we're really more closer to all these terrible tyrants and other evil people that we talk about all the time. We are all awful wretches. And because of that, we question our election. Sort of makes sense. That's the way we are, humanly speaking. But Christ our Lord is perfect. 
And he is the one who has saved you from your sins. Study him, flee to him. Uh, Sing and think and meditate and pray to God thanking him for his blood and righteousness. That is what gives you comfort. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.